Uh, I want to uh, mention where we're going next. This morning we're wrapping up the series, the short series we've been in. Uh, next week we're going to pick up in a series that will take us through to Easter. As we, are, we will be talking about freedom in Christ. And the Bible says, if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. But I would venture to say most Christians don't really know what that means. And we're going to see episodes in the life of Christ where he set people free. We're going to learn what that means from what the Word of God says starting next week. Uh, this morning we turn the corner into wrapping up our message series on fortifying the foundations of our faith. Before we do that, I just have to say, welcome back, J.B. Bufkin. It is good to see you. Yeah. And for those of you who do not know, if you're new to First Baptist Church, Brother J.B. spent Christmas getting a liver transplant, and God blessed him and Jane through that. It's been an interesting driving back and forth from Charleston, hasn't it? He's, he's burned up a lot of tire there, but uh, God is good, and we praise him for that. Now, as we go back to the God's Word, uh, two weeks ago we started this short series and we're talking about shoring up the foundations of our faith by looking in, at three specific areas that are foundational to all believers' faith. And, and the reason for this series is uh, we live in a culture now which is largely hostile to Christianity, so we want to be able, we want to be firm in our faith, capable of standing firm for Christ, and a lot of that just comes by understanding, deeper in God's Word, understanding who we are in Christ, and then also living for Christ, living for Christ, to, to shore up our faith in that. So we talked about celebrating our salvation. Uh, last week, we talked about partnering with God in our sanctification, which is growing in Christ and becoming more like Christ. Uh, so today, we're going to talk about participating with God in service, that is, committing to our participation in what God is doing and what God wants us to do, what he wants to do through us. These three uh, parts of this series are, are not just, just disjointed areas. These are uh, woven together like muscle and tendon. They go together in the life of the Christian always and all the time. Wherever you are, however you serve, where, in whatever church you're in, uh, whether you move from here or move to here, this is true of the Christian life. These three things are woven together and are intended to go together. You celebrate your salvation by grace through faith, then you partner with God in your growth in Christ, and then you commit to your participation in what God wants you to do. On our website, there's a link that says, I serve. Uh, it's under the ministries menu. If you click there, you'll look at our website, scroll down, you'll see I serve, click on that. Uh, the intention of that, there, there's a form there you can fill out to let us know of your desire to serve in ministry at First Baptist Church. It's a great way to connect and, and find out where you can plug in to ministry. But if you go there to that page, what you'll see at the very top, the first thing you'll see is a statement that says, we were created to contribute, not to consume. We are created to contribute, not to consume. From the very foundations of the world, when God created humanity, he created us with purpose to contribute first and foremost to his creation. All human beings were created to contribute to his creation. And we have that desire to have a purpose woven into us so much so that there's no way to get away from it. An article written a year before last on the Psychology Today website 
by Professor Paul Zak underscored the fact that all human beings are wired to have a purpose in life. Uh, embedded in that article, he said this, Studies show that doing something with purpose causes the brain's re reward circuits to activate. As a result, the purpose of what we do is directly related to how engaged we are in what we do. We are literally wired in our brains to have a purpose. And when we have a purpose, part of our brain activates. It comes to life. It, it connects with that purpose. Why would we be that way? Because human beings were created by a loving God to have a purpose. And our primary purpose is to contribute to his creation. But then when Adam and Eve sinned and creation fell, humanity fell into sin, our purpose was tainted as well. In fact, God, God's judgment on Adam and Eve applied directly to their purposes. To multiply, now childbirth would be painful. And in labor. And to work the earth, now working the earth after the fall, would uh, be laborious as well, would be difficult. But the purpose remained the same, even though it was tainted by sin in a fallen world. Then when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you, you still have that purpose as a human being to contribute to creation. Now you have a purpose as a Christian to contribute to God's kingdom. You come alive, alive in your spirit. It activates the desire to serve God and to do what He wants you to do, to participate in His kingdom, to contribute to His kingdom. Once dead in your trespasses and sins, we saw that two weeks ago, you come alive to God in Jesus Christ. We saw that last week. You've begun the process of growing in Christ. Now God calls every believer in Christ to participate in his kingdom, to contribute to the spread of his kingdom, to find that place of ministry that God has called us to. Now I want to pause right here before I go any further. And I don't want, to hear, I want, you, don't want you to hear me saying, this sermon is about doing more stuff. That, that's not what this is about. I'm not calling you out to serve on another committee. I'm not calling you out to do this, to do that. In fact, that, uh, that is not the point at all. But the point is, those things that we do in service are because of our purpose in Christ. The point is that God did not call us to be churchgoers. He didn't call us to sit. He called us to serve. And he activated that in us. And when you plug into God's purpose to contribute to his kingdom, you, you find that purpose. You get excited about serving Christ and what he wants you to do. So let's look at this third foundation this morning. Uh, if you have your scrolls with you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. This is where we started two weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 2. And you'll recall that Paul is explaining to the Ephesian Christians what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Uh, because like many believers of their time, they had to come move away from the notion that they had earned their salvation. And this is a constant theme of the Bible. You cannot earn your salvation. Your good works do not earn God's grace. Do not earn heaven. Do not earn salvation. God provides that when you trust him fully and completely repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ who died on the cross for you, who rose from the grave. God gives you by his grace, he gives you your salvation. So then what Paul does in verse 10 is puts works in perspective. He's already declared works do not earn your salvation. 
So then the question, the obvious question is, then, well, then why should I serve? Why should I do good works? Why should I do anything but come and sit and soak and, and be a churchgoer? He's going to answer that question for us in this one verse. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul says, for we are his workmanship. That for means for this reason, and, and it follows. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one could boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God calls each Christian to participate in his work. God calls each Christian to contribute to his kingdom and to participate in his unique purpose for you. If, in your, if you know you're, you're saved, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you celebrated your salvation, you partnered with God in your sanctification. This morning, I want to challenge you to commit to your participation. Because the truth is, a lot of Christians stop right there. We think that the extent of our participation in the things of God is coming to church, sitting in church, being a church goer. And we might, we might extend that a bit and participate in a Bible study. But we're going to see it goes much deeper than that, joyfully goes much deeper than that. That God has in mind a purpose for you that he unpacks and he unfolds in your life when you commit to your participation in what God wants to do through you. Uh, who does this apply to? Notice the way Paul started. For we are his workmanship. We. Paul included himself. Paul of all people, the great missionary of the Christian faith, the, the first great theologian of the Christian faith, the one who suffered for his faith, who ultimately would be martyred because of Christ. This applies to me, Paul says, for we are his workmanship. All Christians, everywhere, at all times. Just like all of us celebrate our salvation, all of us partner in our sanctification, all of us then can commit to our participation in God's purpose for us. Let's go back to this verse for just a minute. And I want to challenge you to commit to your participation. There's three ways you can do that. And these three ways are woven together. You can't take one without the other. But there are three ways you can commit to your participation in God's purpose for you. And if your experience in the Christian life has been predominantly coming and sitting and soaking and leaving and then coming back again, I'm glad you're in church. God bless you. I'm glad you're online with us. Good for you. But God desires so much more for you. And he's designed so much more for you. How can you commit to your participation? First, commit to God's potential for you. Commit to God's potential for you. Paul, Paul writes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Two words there we need to focus on for a moment. Workmanship and created. The term translated workmanship gives us our English word poem. It's very literally in the Greek, poema. Gives us our word poem. Uh, and prior to Paul's day, it primarily meant the product of a craftsman. Whatever a craftsman created, the product of that craftsman was the poema, what they put out there. But by the time Paul wrote these words, the term had been sharpened up to apply specifically to artwork produced by a craftsman. Uh, something beautiful, something aesthetically appealing, something intentional, and something that came out of the heart of the craftsman. Uh, the kind of thing that people wouldn't just walk 
past it and purchase it, they would walk up to it and be in awe of what they saw. You are God's poema. When you come to faith in Christ, God begins writing the poem of your life. The rhyme, the rhythm, the purpose that he had intended for you all along. You are God's workmanship. And how did you get there? You are created in Christ Jesus. The term translated created is a Greek word that applies specifically to God in the New Testament and throughout the Bible. God created you when he recreated you in Christ. Remember, Paul says elsewhere, I am a new creation in Christ. When you came to faith in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When you're born again in Christ, you become a new creation in Christ. This new creation now steps into God's workmanship, God's purpose for you. You become God's product, his rhyme, his rhythm, writing the artwork of your life. It's God's intention. As long as you're apart from Christ, you don't experience that. But as soon as you commit to, to following Christ, you step into that potential. And that's how God looks at your life. And it doesn't matter how old you are in, 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 in your life when you come to Christ. As far as God's concerned, eternity stretches out before you. So as long as you're on this earth, he is writing the poem of your life. And you have stepped into what God has intended all along for your life to be. You just have to commit to that potential. You, you have to trust God for what he wants to do because he's created you in Christ Jesus to fulfill that purpose and that product. Uh, in our culture right now, the, a popular term applied to bakeries and coffee shops is artisanal. These things that are artisanal. They're, uh, and you would think that means they are art, works of art, but it's actually a twist on the idea of works of art. What the term actually means that it's not commercially produced like in a factory, but that it's produced by a craftsman and that it can be incomplete. Uh, think of this the next time you go into a bakery that, that, or a coffee shop that has that wonderful smell, that aroma of coffee wafting through the air, and that they proclaim their artisanal works there, their they're handmade by the craftsman. They're, uh, they're grinding the beans right there. They're, they're making the, the muffins right there. And you'll notice none of the muffins, are, are, all the muffins, they're not exactly the same. They, they look a little bit different. They might have been made in the same tin and in the same oven by the same craftsman, but they're all not the same. And in a very real way, they're incomplete. In fact, as soon as they come out of the oven, they're incomplete because they're not perfect. And by definition... Not being perfect is, is being incomplete. In a very real and similar way, that's how we live our lives on earth. We are in the hands of the craftsman. If you have committed yourself to God and Jesus Christ, commit yourself to his potential. You're in the hands of the craftsman. You are going to be his product. He knows where he's going. Now you look at this life and say, this is hardly complete and it's certainly not perfect. And God says, I know that. But you were created in Christ Jesus now. And you walk in Christ Jesus now. And I see you from an eternal point of view, and I, you are my workmanship, my poem, God says. If you've been wandering through this Christian faith and this Christian life, trying your best to be somebody for Christ, consider this. God already knows who he wants you to be. He's writing the artwork of your life. 
Just surrender to him. Surrender that to him. That brings me to the second thing we need to see here. Second step you can take, second way you can commit to your participation is to commit to God's purpose for you. Commit to God's purpose for you. It's right there in the middle of the whole verse. I've already talked about it a lot. God has a purpose for you. The Bible is threaded throughout with this truth. God has a purpose for us. Well, right here it is in this verse. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That is for the purpose of good works. Now remember Paul was writing this after he says you are saved by grace through faith. So, so his point is you are not saved by good works but you are saved for good works. And God has prepared those good works for you. You're created in Christ Jesus for his good works. The term translated good means that God defines what is good. Uh, you don't get to go out and say, well, this is a good work. I I'll do this. God defines what is good. God is writing the artwork of your life. He already knows in advance what he wants you to do. He already knows the good works he has in store for you. God defines what is good. This goes all the way back to the opening books of the book of Genesis, the opening chapters of Genesis, where we find out how we are created in the first place. And after each stage of creation, we read, and God saw it, and it was good. Immediately, we learn that God defines what is good. And here, Paul uses the same idea to point to the fact that God decides and God defines what is morally, ethically, righteously good, what is godly for us to do. And these are the works he has prepared for us. They are works, that is, works of service for us to participate in. They are things for us to do. And the beauty of this verse is that it gives no inclination whatsoever that some of those works are better than others, contribute more than others. When you plug into God's purpose for you, Wherever God calls you, whatever works he has in store for you, whatever good things and godly things God has called for you to do, they are as essential to the kingdom of God as what everyone else is doing. And the beauty of it is, those are the works he decided for you to do. Now the hard part for us, and always has been, is knowing what to do. Knowing what to do. I can't tell you how many times, and you probably thought this if you hadn't said it out loud, how many times someone's asked me, how many times we say out loud, what am I supposed to do? What is God's will for me? I can't do everything. Well, that's right, you can't do everything. What is God's will for me? Jesus answered that question. See, when Jesus was, was, in, was on the earth, living in human skin, he accommodated to the restrictions of being a human being, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And he was asked the question, how do you know what to do? What God wants you to do? And he answered the question this way in the Gospel of John. He said, I look for what the Father is doing and I, get, I join him in what he's doing. I just look around me to see what God's doing and I, and I get involved in what he's doing. That's how you know what to do. The Bible teaches that God's will uh, uh, should be understood in two ways. First of all, there is God's will for all Christians. We read it last week. God's will is your sanctification. Every Christian on planet earth that knows God, uh, that knows Christ as their Savior, your, God's will for you is that you become more like Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry, wonder about that. The Bible teaches that every Christian on planet earth should be participating in the expansion of God's kingdom through evangelism and mission. We don't have to ask that question. 
God's already said that's His will. There are other specifics that are, that are for all Christians. Then God teaches, as we're seeing here, that God's will for you is God's purpose for you in the greater kingdom of God. He doesn't expect you to do everything. He expects you to do what He calls you to do. That brings me to the third way you can commit to your participation is to commit to God's plan for you. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, say, God, I will follow you as my Savior. He starts writing that poem of your life. He starts unpacking those good works. And then Paul says, what are these good works? These are good works that he has prepared in advance, beforehand, ahead of time, we read it, for us to do. Now that phrase is translated different ways in particular Bibles, uh, but it, it comes from a word in Paul's language that means, this is what it means, God put the footsteps you are to follow in front of you. In advance of you coming to Christ, God knew what he wanted you to do. So when you came to faith in Christ, God established a path, and he just opened it up before you. And the image borne out in this passage is that those are actually footprints. If you can imagine footprints on the beach or footprints in the snow, God is basically saying, you're going to step in the footprints that I've already put out for you. And they stretch through time into eternity. And if you will follow Christ faithfully, you will walk in those steps and you will encounter the good works he's established in advance for you to do. He knows you can't do everything. And he knows you want to do what he wants you to do. If you've committed to Christ, his potential, his purpose for you. So what he's done is he's laid that out for you. I said, well, Pastor Rob, how do I find that? Well, as I said, Jesus already answered that. You look for what God's doing. Now, when Jesus answered that question, he applied it specifically to relationships. And this is very important for the Christian life because God is all about relationships. I love our committees. God bless you for serving on committees, but we don't serve on committees as a substitute for loving people. When God puts people in your life, I'm going to move over here. When God puts people in your life, pay attention to that. When God puts relationships for you to build, puts people in your life, pay attention to that. When God gives you opportunities to serve, pay attention to that. When God brings to you an opportunity to serve, pay attention to that. God's already established beforehand the steps you're going to walk in. He knows in advance what he wants you to do. Pay attention to that. Nobody else is walking the path in the footsteps he's laid out for you. If you're not committed to your participation, if you're not serving the way he's called you to serve and fulfilling the purpose he has for you, who's doing it? God wants you and I to make an eternal impact. God has called you for that. To write the poem on your life means you will serve him faithfully. Complete the good works that he has set out for you to do. In this life. That's what God created you for. That's what God called you to do in this life. I can't do your good works for you. You can't do my good works for me. But I surrender and commit to God's potential, God's purpose for me, and then I know that God has a plan for me. God is very strategic. God is always intentional. 
God is not accidental. Pay attention to what God is doing in your life and participate with him in what he was doing. Now, I would add one more thing to that that we learned last week. Remember, we learned that God's word sanctifies us, makes us more like Christ. So be sure you're digesting and applying God's word. That's how you get to know him better. And last week, we ended with the fifth part of your participation, your partnership with God and your sanctification, was to walk by faith. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. Walk by faith. Trust God to put those works in front of you and get to know him well enough that you can get involved in what God is calling you to do. That when God brings a relationship into your life, someone for you to impact, you see that. When God brings an opportunity into your life, something he wants you to do, you see that. When God wants to send you somewhere, he burdens your heart with that. You know that's God speaking to you because you know him that well. So what, God, what is God calling you to do? Celebrate your salvation. Partner with God in your sanctification, becoming more like Christ. But will you commit to your participation? Some of you in this room, because I know you really well, I know you are Marvel comic hero fans. You love those, those Marvel heroes. Got some smiles, but no hands up. Okay. It's funny, superheroes are kind of woven into our culture, aren't they? Movies, comic books, television, you name it. Whether it's DC Comics or Marvel Comics, they're, they're part of our culture. But do you know who was actually the first superhero in Western fiction? You may not realize that Iron Man owes debt to this superhero, Spider-Man owes debt to this superhero, even Superman that was written right after this superhero came to be owes debt to this superhero because the artist for Superman got the idea from this very first superhero in Western fiction. You know who it was? Tarzan. Yeah, Tarzan. Strength, speed, agility, controlled the animals and, 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 and lived in the jungle. And the story of Tarzan has been so popular, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote it with the intention of it catching on. Uh, he was hardly a Christian, but he had a, a strong idea of the stories that would capture people's lives. The story of Tarzan has been committed to film or television over 90 times since Burroughs wrote the first book. What's interesting is, is almost none of those times do they actually capture on film, on television, the main point of the Tarzan story? I mean, most of us know the Tarzan story, don't we? His parents were shipwrecked, marooned in Africa. Uh, there they had their baby. There they died, and the baby was raised in the jungle by apes. Uh, let's just skirt past that real quick. Raised in the jungle knew nothing but the jungle. And then one day, missionaries from Europe come to the jungle, and among them is a young lady named Jane. And Jane and Tarzan strike up a relationship, fall in love, and because of Jane, Tarzan eventually goes home to England. That's pretty much the, the, the story, one version or another, all the way around that you've heard all your lives, but you know that's not actually what happened. You see, the part that's left out a lot of the story is that Tarzan's 
father, John Clayton II, was the Earl of Greystoke. He was royalty. And he brought, they brought, now, now let this sink in, they brought Tarzan to the jungle. They were marooned in the jungle. And that's where he was born. And when the, the missionaries from Europe came, they didn't come just to bring him a bride. They discovered Tarzan there and they told him who he was. That he was John Clayton III, Earl of Greystoke. He was aristocracy. He didn't belong in the jungle. He belonged at home. He had a castle back home. He had a whole new life back home. He might have been born in the jungle. He might have been raised in the jungle. But the jungle was not his home. And that's not who he is. He isn't Tarzan. He's John Clayton. But somebody had to tell him that. Then he had to accept it. And then he had to go home and start living the life he was intended to live all along. You and I, in our sin, we're in the jungle. Our first parents put us there. Yeah, that's how we got here. They put us there. So the whole human race is born in sin. Dead in our trespasses and sin. We're born in the jungle. And then God shows up in Jesus Christ. This might be where you are, but it's not who you are. I created you. Come back to me. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, you find out this is not where you belong. You have a home. In Christ, the Bible actually says, you're royalty. And God might have you serve in the jungle for a while, a while longer, however long he says, but you serve to contribute to his kingdom because that's where you belong and you're a citizen of his kingdom now. So my challenge to us today is, will you commit to participate in what God has called you to do and his purpose for you as long as you're in this life and until you go home to be with Christ? Or are you just satisfied with church going, sitting, soaking, being passive? Because God's got a whole lot more in store for you if you'll commit to participation and contribute to his kingdom as a child of God. And it's exciting to know at the end of it all, he's writing a song by the words of your life, a poem that will rise to eternity because he made you and he loves you that much. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me if you would. Nobody looking around, heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. Can I pray for you this morning that you would commit to your participation? God knows who you are. God knows where you are in your walk with Christ. God knows whether you've been serving him or not. But right now, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, you say, yes, I want to start over today. I want to commit to my participation and contributing to God's kingdom, who God has called me to be heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up where you are, right where you are. And say, yes, God, I want to commit to my participation. Good, good, thank you. Hands down. Still no one looking around. You may, you may have a, a, a problem, a trial, a struggle, a decision you're facing. 
issues in your life, I want to pray for you as well. You don't need to say what they are. God knows what they are. You know what they are, what that problem is. Raise your hand right where you are. Maybe it's an unspoken request. Maybe it's just something on your heart this morning. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you see our hearts, our minds. You see the hands we raise, God. You know our intention, the motivations of our hearts, God. You know us in our walk with Christ, Father, even better than we know ourselves. Father, I pray for each one here who said yes, each one at home that said yes. I would commit today to my participation. I want to start over with Christ today. And maybe some of us, God, we say, I, I, I'm committed to that participation. I, I know what you're leading me to do. God, I pray you would continue to unfold and unpack your purposes for us, God, that we would serve you faithfully. We would walk that path, God, you've laid out before us. God, help us not to be discouraged. Help us, God, instead to be faithful to you, to walk by faith day by day in what you've called us to do. Father, you've seen our hands also, and, and you know our hearts, those unspoken requests, those burdens on our hearts. God, I pray for each person here and at home. Whatever struggles we have, whatever burdens, God, cares or trials we're going through, Father, I pray you would guide us, help us with our decisions, God. Give us wisdom in our conversations and our relationships, God. I pray you would help us right where we are, Father. Answer our prayers in keeping with your will. And God, if you're not quite ready to bring that answer, to, uh, make it evident to us, Father, give us patience. Give us trust. Deepen our trust in you right now, Father, that we'll trust you for what comes next. Father, whatever works you have laid out before us, God, we anticipate you working, you calling, you guiding us in those works and in our lives, God. We look forward to what you're going to do. And God, there may be one in this room or at home that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. Jesus came to tell us who we are, to save us, to bring us out of the jungle, and to bring us back home. And God, I pray for that person today, here or at home, that would say yes today. I want to put all my faith and trust in Christ, that they would pray a prayer of faith with me right now and trust Christ as their Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I can't save myself. I've tried to be good, but I understand now that my good works will not save me. So Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me because I could not save myself. I believe you're alive today to give me eternal life. Jesus, I ask in faith you would come into my heart, into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and choose to follow Christ all the rest of my days. Father, you know our hearts and what prayers we prayed today. I pray for each one of us, God, we would follow through in those decisions today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.